Welcome back to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. Okay, we're picking back up with Assemblymember Kalra and his part two. This is a fascinating journey through the repressive criminal justice system of the 90s, brought to us by folks like Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And also, we walk through how he burst on the scene as a formal politician. Quick note, this interview was recorded before some key developments with AB 1400, so stay tuned until the end, and I'll explain. else did you learn about yourself during this time you learned about your love for teaching and what else i i learned that you know that every student every young person you know people talk about oh yeah they have potential i learned it like Mm -hmm. firsthand Mm -hmm. that how how clear it was that a lot of the students that were just never given a chance how much potential they had Mm -hmm. and that you can never write off a young person Mm -hmm. i don't care what they've done what they said that it, it, you know, every person, but especially young person, mm-hmm. you know, has so much to offer if you give them that mutual respect. Yeah, and uh, don't talk down to them. Right, uh, but talk to them. Yeah, and I learned that firsthand. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd ever realized that until then. Mm. And I was relatively young then too. Sure. I mean, I was, I'm only 22, 23 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm teaching these students, so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm close to their age as well. Yeah, yeah. And so I was learning a lot about myself as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. Um, at the time. Right on. Okay. So what happened? So what, how did law school conclude for you? Like, did you, did you have a a crystal clear idea about next step or was it just like, you know, I was vibing in law school teaching, you know, I, Mm. you know, I didn't kill myself, you know, trying to be, you know, number one in my class, but I did well. And Mm -hmm. now I want to like, yeah. So a couple of the other things happened law school. So, um, one of the other clinics I did was mm. in landlord tenant court. I represented tenants. Okay. And in so, DC. In DC. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I went to some of these slumlord Ooh. apartment buildings mm-hmm. and oh, I learned a lot about that back then and representing tenants. And mm-hmm. so that was also one of the formative experiences in law school. I learned about how people just get screwed over yeah. by these landlords. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my first summer mm-hmm. from law school, I studied abroad in Italy. Huh? <laughs> And that was cool. And and I and while we were studying abroad, mm-hmm. uh, the OJ chase and all that happened. Whoa! And it, it happened during the NBA championship. Mm-hmm. We had a party at our place uh, yeah. uh, for people to come over to watch the the game. The game, but mm-hmm. it, like it, but started like you know, early in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And so um, um, that whole chase, and, and we're like, what? What is happening? Right, right. It's like you know, because they cut in during the game, didn't they? They, to- and they had the two. They had the two screens. Uh-huh, they had uh-huh. the game on one and this Bronco chased the other. <laughs> and we weren't as in tune with what was going on. Sure, sure, sure. There was no internet and all that back then. So right. like we're like, what? OJ killed his wife? What's, what's going right, on? Right, what's happening? And so that was also interesting during law school, mm. how being in law school during the OJ trial. Did you guys stud- Did you guys like take, you know, have like sidebars in class or outside of class about this? Like the defense is brilliant. If the glove does not fit, it like we talked a lot about it uh-huh. like the students did uh-huh. like when we talked and had a beer and whatever we were talking a lot about the case did it did the discussions fall cleanly along racial lines like were all the white students super annoying and like condemnatory about it and all the black students like nah johnny on to something i do remember when the verdict came in mm-hmm. and people felt like someone to kill their cat or something yeah 
Like, like, like that was like, I'm white like, people were tripping yeah, that yeah, week. Yeah. yeah I and so that. I mm -hmm. definitely noticed that was mm -hmm. definitely clear ha, 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 ha. Uh, when okay. the verdict came Yeah, and um, the difference of opinion yeah. as well as the difference of pain felt yeah. by folks. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that was very noticeable for mm. sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember we had one professor. Actually, I didn't have him, but people were complaining about him because mm. he would take breaks during class to be on CNN and all that stuff. So, oh, get a grip, yeah, sir. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but yeah, uh, it was it was definitely interesting to have it during law school. But so my first year of law school, I studied abroad um, in, in Italy and traveled to some in Europe, which is great because I'd never really traveled like that before. Mm -hmm. Um and then my he second was still wilding out. I'm not going to ask him to tell us that, but we know that. Go ahead. No, mm -hmm. that was good. <laughs> uh, and then um, my second year, uh -huh. and this is, and so part of it is I'm also saying, okay, well, I think that I'm learning a lot about criminal law mm -hmm. and how unfair and unjust it is. Mm -hmm. So my second year, I actually interned at the U.S. Attorney's Office mm. in San Diego mm. in the in the um, narcotics in the dangerous um, drugs and narcotics section. Huh. So that was a really eye-opening for me. Why? Uh, because uh, first of all, the attorneys were great. I mean, uh -huh. the, the the attorneys I worked for, they seemed, you know, just to whatever extent that means. Yeah. But I learned a lot about just a, a deeper look at the system mm. and the drug trafficking, the drug drug trade. Mm. Uh, at that time, um, there was stories being written by a San Jose Mercury reporter, mm -hmm. uh, Gary Webb, I believe is his name. Yeah. Yeah. On on the CIA's involvement of bringing drugs That's in. Right. So at the same time, uh, I don't know if it's the exact same time, I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm in this internship. So I, I, it was after that internship mm -hmm. that I decided I want to be a public defender. Because? Because I did not want to be contributing. I, I, even though I get the power yeah. that prosecutors have, mm -hmm. there's no way that I could have contributed mm -hmm. to locking people up. Ah. And especially being in the federal Mm -hmm. And the mandatory minimums, I'm like, this makes no sense. Uh -huh. Like, even at that point, you thought that this was absurd. Oh, totally. Okay. I'm like, I, I you know, I get like, and, and I appreciated some of the attorneys that were that we were working for mm -hmm. that were fair minded and trying to do the right thing. But I'm mm -hmm. like, you can't do the right thing because the system is not the right thing. Because the system yeah. doesn't allow you to. That's right. And so when I went to my my final year, that kind of over the course of that year, mm -hmm. it really solidified my my view uh, and it solidified um what i wanted to do was to become a public defender back home mm -hmm. in my hometown because you you work for the u.s attorney you're like f this noise this is we're kind of in an absurd legal regime right now i'm not going to be i'm not yeah. going to actively participate in this way i'm going to be on the other side well yeah i mean this is 1995 that's when that's when shit thank yes. you joseph biden this, this is when crime bill. hey this is where they were knocking down doors i that's went to right. the border saw them tear cars apart yeah um, and uh, the, it was a great Webb education was, for me he was when he i mean one of the key figures one of the figures that he was reporting on uh was uh what freeway freeway ricky ross at the time in la um because like just yeah shit was hot at that point and just every black person was getting not yeah. i'm exaggerating but and i can i'm allowed to exaggerate because i'm black uh, but like everybody was getting locked up and going away yeah. Ugh, terrible time yeah and i mean in fact joe biden came to our school because his son went to the law school wait, 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 wait he went to georgetown yeah hunter biden did you party with hunter i no. swear to god hunter biden was only with us our the first year and then oh, he okay. went he transferred to columbia oh, okay. after that uh -huh. uh, and and there's also there was different stratospheres in law school so uh, i didn't yeah. uh, i learned a lot about the ivy league mentality uh, yeah. versus 
know, this is the first time I'd ever gone to private school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like how folks that went to public school, I mean, it was never said, you can Explos- tell. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's funny because at first time I'm going to private school and it's like, they, they had this little um, courtyard area and the law school was not with the main school, the main campus undergrad, which is like bougie, yeah. 18th, you know, 19th century, 18th century campus. Gothic, yeah. yeah. It, it was um, where, where the Exorcist was filmed actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, but it was a new campus near downtown. Yeah. And, um, they would have in the courtyard sometimes like kegs of beer and, and like wine and cheese and yeah, yeah. a jazz band. I'm like, what the, they're giving, they're giving us this? <laughs> and right. so we'd go in the classroom and have like plates full of food yeah, and yeah. like four or five beers we'd have. In our yeah. so, and you can definitely tell like the public school kids yeah, that's right. uh, from the, the others. And I'm so, loading my plate up. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but that, yeah, so it was, it was very different. Uh-huh. Uh, they were different, but like, you know, when I would, like my last um, couple of years when I lived, I would throw these parties and. Um, the, uh, my parties would have like everyone like all black and white and it was like all the barriers were broken mm. and it's funny because one of my one of my buddies Castle would say uh, said like you know he always says that's when I knew you were going to be a politician <laughs> it's like when you had everybody coming right. to your parties schmoozing and, uh, but when I when I, but when I went out uh-huh. like yeah so when I I mean I was friends with everyone I was social and so when I had parties I would invite everybody but when I went out mm. I would usually just go like we would go to U Street Cardozo, hey, yeah, yeah, and um, public gardens, uh, public gardens, and our, our favorite place up uh, was that in State of the Union, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's other place I think it was called Kaya, I can't remember, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we'd go out there and and sometimes go to um, Adams Morgan, yeah, Ben's Chili Bowl, that uh-huh. stuff was there. So um, that was usually like on the weekends, sure, where where we'd go out. Mm-hmm. But I remember like you know th- th- um, now when I go like you should it's like totally gentrified. It's so. Even by Georgetown, yeah. by Chinatown. Yeah. I mean, now because they have, was MCI Center. I don't know what it's called now, but. The Verizon Center um, now. Yeah. Now it's totally bougie yeah. and all that. But back Completely then. different. It was, it was not like, Even when I went to Anacostia, I remember. Anacostia but, is like different now. Oh, really? And it freaks oh, me man. out when I go home. So like, when I met, I remember, I remember when I would, um, I think it was one time during the break and I took some of my students to lunch mm-hmm. um, and they said, okay. Because I, I, when I would walk to sc- from the subway, I would take the main roads. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, we're going to take the shortcut, but don't take the shortcut by yourself. Mm-hmm. Like only mm-hmm. when you're with us, take the shortcut. I see. And it reminded me of one time, one of my uh, uh, students, Billy, mm-hmm. at, uh, at School Without Walls, he lived near U- off the U Street Cardozo yeah. exit. Yeah. And I let him borrow my laptop for a week because he had to do a paper. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just let him borrow my laptop. Um, and so he... When I when I had to go pick up my laptop, mm-hmm. he met me at the station. Yeah. Even though, and I, I thought it was bizarre because I, I would go to U Street Cardozo Station all the time, but I, yeah. would, I would be with my friends. Yeah. And we'd go straight to like the restaurants, yeah, the bars, yeah, the bar. yeah, yeah. But he was taking me down some of the side streets. Yeah. So he would like walk with me, and then uh, we walked back to his place. He got his laptop, and we'll, he would hold the laptop, walk him back to the subway. Uh-huh. And like it was one time, these, these guys walked by with a stick and all that. He's like, yeah. If I wasn't here, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have your laptop yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. Even when, but I lived at Fourth and Fourth and E Northeast uh-huh. back then. I mean, two of my all my housemates at the time. No, I think uh, like three of them were the were white guys, and mm-hmm. two of them got mugged. Mm-hmm. One right in front of our doorstep, yeah. one walking by. Yeah. I, and to this day, my argument as to why I never got bothered is I played basketball every, almost every day there across the street. Yeah. And so, it, so I would play basketball there. Yeah. It was a middle school, and I, you know, after three, four o'clock, then everybody would come play basketball. Yeah. And there would be kids like gambling in the corner, and everyone would just hang out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I figured like I wasn't I wasn't he was a homeboy because either they knew me yeah or they knew that I knew them yeah that's right like at least I knew who they looked like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. they were that's right so like you know why you're not gonna you know right because <laughs> right. I could but I did some crazy stuff schedule. in the sense that I remember sometimes two three in the morning we'd be hungry yeah and I would walk like all the way I can't remember what street it was eight street or something but uh, eight street used to not, is I mean people who live there now like so but eight street you, like black people used to like we don't go to eight street after dark like yeah, I would no. only do this like after a long night out yeah and, yeah like, sure. <laughs> It, we would walk it was a place called Danny's uh-huh. and I would get I remember I'd get like fried shrimp and french fries it was like whatever we'd get at that yeah, time carry, yeah, yeah. but it was one of the places you walk in it was like five like 300 menu items on the yeah. up on the top yeah. no chairs or anything and like a broken video game yeah. all all bulletproof glass yeah. you order the food and they'd like, <laughs> yeah. they put those were fun those days were fun yeah 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 because you, you were young you, you yeah. were young it's like you have no fear yeah. you have no concept of yeah. Safety. But, uh, but anyway, so that all led me to be about Defender. <laughs> right on. Okay. And, and so that, that's where I also, like, you know, when I graduated, mm-hmm. I got, like, no help from, like, it's like, if you want to go to clerk for a judge or work for a law firm, you get all the assistance. I, I even did a couple on-campus interviews, mm-hmm. even though it's, like, even in the interview, like, the people interview me, and like, mm-hmm. we were all thinking the same thing. as like, we know I don't really want to do this. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But that was good. I mean, sure, it's sure. actually good to have experience just doing interviews sure. in general. You weren't you weren't seduced by the you weren't seduced by the money even for a second. Like I'm gonna go yeah. clerk for RBG for yeah. like three years and I'm gonna write my ticket at, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, but I yeah, I think that goes back to even when I was younger in high mm-hmm. school and like the I was never attached to the the, the societal status sure, stuff. Even knowing sure. I was gonna have debt. Yeah. I, I just like I can't like money, I was never drawn or driven by that yeah, even yeah. even when a lot of, and i'll tell you this when i started law school i was part of an experimental section called mm-hmm. section three mm-hmm. it was a very hippie-ish section social justice section yeah we learned about like critical race theory and mm. feminist legal theory mm. um we had we didn't have contracts or torts we had um bargains exchange and liabilities mm. uh, it, it was like everything was named different sure and it was very it was very weird mm-hmm. but it, and it was only it was only the third year that experimental section was in play and then i think it became a permanent section but mm. the reason why i mentioned mentioned we had very large law school section like 120 students in each section mm. and like I, like I wasn't the only one with long hair in that section <laughs> nice. okay we had someone that just came back from the peace corps yeah right. we had, you know, these so we, we had people. all these like really progressive like yeah i want to represent homeless or you know children and yeah. you know i want to you know do this that but 90% of them went to work for law firms. Mm, you know? Like so, they sold out. You were the only one who stayed true. Not the only one, but okay. I said 90%. Uh, okay. <laughs> you're, you're okay. You were in the minority. Of yeah, I was in the minority. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I did, would not, there was nothing that was going to, you know, law school was not going to change me. It changed a lot huh. of people. It was not going to change me. Really? You it, knew it, that going in? I Well, a lot of people know that going in, but it doesn't huh. happen. Uh, I just feel grateful that yeah. it didn't change me. Okay. And it actually helped to solidify mm. and move me towards where I needed to go. Huh. And so I think I saw a lot. In fact, you know, I would spend a lot of my time. Um, I didn't spend my time like studying as much or doing all these things for, for the resume status. Yeah. But I would play play basketball. And I, I made a lot of my. There was some some homeless folks that were living there, but we had a really large shelter near there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would either spend time at the shelter, or I just had friends that were there. In fact, I was even. I was subpoenaed as a witness for one of my friends who was homeless Whoa. who got accused of breaking into cars. I'm like, Whoa. no, he didn't. I guarantee he didn't. Yeah, yeah, so I was yeah. a character witness for him. Huh. Uh, they ended up dropping the, the case right before it went to trial. Oh, but right. I met with the public defender and I'm like, there's no way. Uh-huh. I'm like, they had the wrong person because they said the guy was wearing a military camouflage jacket. I know who that guy is. It's not him. Right. But secondly, I know Bobby I would never snitch. do this. Yeah, that's right. And so it's like, but I only knew that because I would spend a lot of time yeah, with some of, my, some of my friends that were homeless that just lived 
near there. In the they, neighborhood. They, in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. We go to Irish Times. They'd be hanging out yeah. nearby there. Yeah, that's right. That Give was the bar that was near the law school. That's right. Throw <laughs> them a couple dollars. You know, yeah. After class. yeah just, so anyway, I just had a very different experience yeah. from the folks, but all those experiences pushed me to become a public defender. Mm. And so I came back. And um, when I came back, before I took the bar, mm-hmm. um, I studied for the bar in D.C., which was great. Mm-hmm. Like that last semester, the last seven, eight months in D.C. were the best ever. Why? We were out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then we we uh, we graduated like two, two and a half weeks before graduation. Uh-huh. So that was the last time in my life where I had two plus weeks with no obligations. Hmm, and you were just kidding. We were out. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> we had so much fun. People would come over to my place. We had like two spades games going on at the same time. Right on. It was, it was fun. Tell me you were friends with black people without telling me you were friends with black yeah. people. We had dual spades games. I I, and I wouldn't be home. <laughs> I, like my place, my room was really big. Yeah, yeah. And so I would, uh, um, I would come in, the, come in and um, like one of my roommates would be on the TV, watch TV. He's like, oh yeah, your, your friends are upstairs. Like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'd walk up and there'd already be two spades. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It was awesome. That's I loved hilarious. it. It was great. And so um, that then... Um, that summer was phenomenal studying for the bar. Um, you you stayed in D.C. studying for the bar? Yeah. Okay. Which was the only time I stayed for the summer, which is a good idea because it forces you to stay inside. It's so hot. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, I did Barbary and all that. Studying for the California bar out there. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to take the D.C. bar and then wave into California? Um, no. I, I think that um, California didn't let you wave in. Oh. Maybe gotcha. it does now. It didn't let you wave in back then. Oh, okay, okay. So, but California, once you take that, you can wave in anywhere because it's oh, the okay. toughest bar. Oh, three-day test, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, now it's two, but back then it was it's still- It was harder than New York? Even yeah. Back then? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's always been, it's still the hardest this day in terms oh, wow. of bar passage rates. Mm. And so I studied for it, went back home, took the bar, um, which was cool because it was in San Jose, which mm. is amazing. Nice. I was able to take it, stay home, just like go, mm-hmm. take the bar. And then um, while I was waiting for my bar results, at this point, I knew I want to be a public defender. I walked in the Democratic Party headquarters. It was this like Labor Democratic Party unified campaign. I walked in there, mm-hmm. started cutting out maps for the precinct walks. And mm-hmm. the person, one of the people running the office said, hey, ask me a question. You just graduated from law school? Yeah. Waiting for bar results. Like, so I met the person running the office and they hired me like 20 minutes later as hmm. a political organizer. Whoa. Like, you know, basically a glorified just, you know, minimum, making minimum wage, working you know, 12 hours a day. Sure. And, and that was my first experience, real experience in politics. For the D trip, it was for the local party, the county party. Oh, gotcha. But gotcha it was gotcha. up and down the ticket. Oh, so this gotcha. is 1996. Uh-huh. Clinton all the way down. Yeah, and um, I, I remember back then I I was going to the high schools mm-hmm. um, to recruit volunteers. Everyone that had been doing it for a long time said, yeah. "You're wasting your time. They won't come out." I said, "Well, you know, on my own time, I'm going to do this." Yeah, and so I I made I, I just made printed out extra credit forms, and, I, and back then. I was literally calling government teachers hmm. saying, hey, I want to offer an opportunity to volunteer. Mm-hmm. I'll come in. I have volunteer extra credit sheets. And so I did that. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting the most volunteers to come out. Oh, right High on. students were coming out. Was this because you knew about, again, back to that potential of young people thing, like don't write off young kids. Mm-hmm. You knew that from your, your law school clinic uh, days. Uh, yeah, totally. If I hadn't taught high school mm-hmm. back in D.C., I, I wouldn't have thought of it. Ah, gotcha. I wouldn't have thought of it. Gotcha. And so I absolutely... Knew that knew more of what they were capable of, mm-hmm. uh, and what would interest them. Like, mm-hmm. don't think that they won't be interested in coming out to this. Uh-huh. They got extra credit. A lot of them came more often, mm-hmm. um, even after their extra credit was done. Mm-hmm. It's like get to hang out with their friends, have pizza. Yeah. And some, you know, some high schools are very talkative. I have no problem talking to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was, um, you know, that that was a good experience. And then starting that December, mm-hmm. um, I passed the bar, thankfully. Okay. Yeah. And um, I started interning the public defender's office mm-hmm. that December. 
um, or, uh, and I interned for nine months. Or Why actually, intern and not a full-time job? I, I actually interned. I think I started the internship in January. Mm-hmm. I interned for nine months for no, with no pay. Ooh. Because yeah. you were living at home. Because I was living at home. Okay. Yeah. So that's how you were. I did get a couple offers. I did interview a little bit. I got a couple. I got an offer like in Madeira, like, you know, Central Valley. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. nah. No, I'm not I'm doing good. that. Yeah, I'm good. So you know, and, and, and plus I didn't have to pay for rent. And, mm-hmm. so my, and, my, and I, at that point, at least I told, and my parents got divorced a couple years earlier. Mm. And I was with my dad. I told my dad at least what my plan was. Okay. Yeah. You're interning. Like, you know, all good. And okay. then we're Indian. Like Indian parents are, are always going to welcome you home that's yeah, never yeah, yeah. there's not a stigma of living with your parents sure 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 like there is with like other americans right yeah and so um i interned there it was awesome hmm. nine months i got hired and started working your mama didn't pop off about you working for free for nine months after getting your big law degree well there was an aspect like when i was going to law school then like you know your parents like oh he'll come work for some international law firm some corporate firm yeah and so that all got dashed <laughs> when i told him i want to be a public defender and so um, I keep dashing their dreams. <laughs> and so, um, so, but, but at that point, it's like they know, like I'm just different. Yeah. Like at sure. that point, they're very, uh, the right. way, they're way beyond the point where they know I'm just different. Right. And so, but at least he went to law school. Okay. You yeah. know, uh, at least he has some aim now. And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I get hired as a puppet defender in um, December. Yeah, it was December 97. So mm. it was actually a year later. Damn. Uh, but I interned for about nine, it was about nine months. And mm. then, um, I got hired on in December mm-hmm. um, after the internship ended because of a lag period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was there for 11 years. Okay. What was, two questions. What was your understanding of the Democratic Party at this time after, a, after or during being a political organizer in 96? And what was your understanding of the legal system when you interned and became a public defender? In terms of the Democratic Party, I mean, I, at that point, the contrast was very clear hmm. um, be- between the Democrats and Republicans. Why do you say that? Um, at that point, it had more to do with just like social programs, assistance, mm-hmm. and want to help people and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much the the criminal yeah. law stuff, mm-hmm. but the other areas of supporting education and what sure. have you. So. Um, that's where, you know, the economic policies and what have you, kind of the, the, the aftermath of Reaganomics kind of thing, like, okay, well, you know, in retrospect now, it wasn't that much of an aftermath, but mm-hmm. at the time, you know, you're, the, it's, your, your understanding is that, okay, they're going to be more for supporting the people and mm-hmm. kind of the general understanding of the Democratic Party versus mm-hmm. Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I learned a lot about local politics. I didn't know much about, uh, you know, before that I never really knew much about, uh, where council members were and all that. So mm-hmm. it was a good education mm-hmm. in terms of local politics as well. And back then, now it's all solidly blue there. But back mm-hmm. then it was very much of a purple area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had some Republican representatives and all that. And like now we don't have any, mm-hmm. um, certainly not at the, the state level and what have you or mm-hmm. in Congress. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it was a much more moderate mm-hmm. place, I, I think, being mm-hmm. in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I still felt that in the contrast between Democrat and Republican, mm-hmm. Democrat was clearly the more progressive choice out of the ah. out of the two. Okay. And uh, when it comes to criminal law, yeah, at this point, I mean, I've done, I, especially as I'm starting the public defender's office, very clearly um, have at least, uh, before seeing it firsthand as a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, a much more clear understanding of where we are in, in terms of our criminal justice system and mass incarceration mm. and 
three strikes and the war on drugs, and I'm, I'm getting a much deeper understanding mm -hmm. um, of it. But once I started working, I saw how difficult it was um, to represent <laughs> the clients, like how, how much the deck was stacked against us mm -hmm. as public defenders, especially Santa Clara County. Hmm. In the Bay Area, Santa Clara County was known mm -hmm. as like the harshest prosecutor's office. Really? Um, the judges were tough. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, you know, it was really going into public defense at a really hard time uh, in terms of being able to represent your clients and the mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was a great learning experience. It was a great experience, mm -hmm. but it was, it was a hard time to be a public defender. Mm. Do you think it's still, it's still as difficult in terms of the uh, legal, re legal and political and economic, if we're going to be honest, regime that, that kind of comes together to, to be more punitive? Well, it's better now because the bills we passed. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's it's it is definitely better. better in what now. ways do you mean? Like in degree like, of better? What do you mean? Whether it was back then or now, mm -hmm. the question is, what does the person look like? Where are they from? And who are they singing from? Ah, uh, right. That uh -huh. that question I think still gets answered based upon those variants. Uh, what I will say though uh -huh. is, back then I would have clients. I remember this very clearly. Um, young black men mm -hmm. that would get busted for drug sales. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when I would tell them, and I, I could just see like that, it was so sad when I would tell them that your offer is three years or mm -hmm. four years. They're mm -hmm. like, what? Hmm. You know, for, but, you know, because they had sales priors. Right. If they were in Alameda County mm -hmm. or in San Francisco, maybe they'd get two, three, four months, whatever. Ah. Santa Clara County was no joke. Oh, it was, it was that, it was, it, it was, was that different. Oh, I see. It was different relative to the other municipalities around it. Yeah. Ah. And so it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, a couple of years ago, we got rid of the drug sales prior. Mm, good. So, and that means that means that every time someone's charged, it, it doesn't. It, it's not like a cumulative kind of like time serving. It may, effect. It, it, it's not only cumulative. It's not only that. It makes a mandatory prison. What do you say? Explain it that. It makes a mandatory know. prison. It, like if I have, like if I am caught selling cocaine more than once. I now have a mandatory, at a certain point, I will have a mandatory it, yeah. sentence. If, if the prosecutor adds that enhancement for of a drug sales prior, uh, they're going to prison. Got you. And so we got rid of that. And so that's an example of how it's just different. Like, uh -huh. you know, that there are things we've done, the felony murder rule. I mean, there's just things that we've done mm -hmm. um, that have dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. And in addition to putting more resources and, you know, trying to, find ways of, of, of how we can move away from incarceration. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're not the incarceration leader anymore in California, I think mm. Texas is, but yeah, but you know, closing a couple of prisons I and mean, yeah. you, you know, weeds, marijuana is legal now. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are different. What were your thoughts on three strikes at the time? Cause they like, if, and I was, I was very young at the time, but it seems like California really ran away with three strikes. Oh, like, yeah. It, they got jiggy with it. Oh, out here. absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, it, you know, it was based upon, the, the fear created from the Richard Allen Davis case. Which was? Which was, he's the one that kidnapped the little girl in Petaluma from her bedroom mm -hmm. and did horrible things to her and killed her. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so that was the justification because he had a, a, a violent crime prior. Ah. Well, the thing about Three Strikes was written with a very broad net. Yeah, that's right. You know, of serious or violent crime. Mm -hmm. So a residential burglary mm -hmm. is a serious crime. Yeah. You walk into someone's garage, yeah. steal something, walk out, get busted for it. That's residential burglary. Yeah, yeah. Now you have a strike. Yeah, and so, um, and in fact, not so ironically, 
the Richard Allen Davis trial was held in Santa Clara County ah. because they because they had to move it out of the county of origin. Ah. And it, even to this day, I think, but certainly when I was there, the top floor of the Hall of Justice is still extra tinted mm. where you can't see people walking in there because of that case. Oh, wow. Because it was such a media. media yeah. Uh, uh, uh. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I even back then, I saw Three Strikes as immoral, as you know, discriminatory. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. because, And you saw who was getting Three Strikes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the war on drugs, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you saw who was getting busted for sales, who was getting more leniency. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, you know, we pushed for things like the Racial Justice Act, which we got yeah. passed last year. But yeah. it was very apparent. How did you not get just beaten down in terms of morale being a public defender during such a, a terribly regressive and punitive time? It was very tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I definitely cried a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a lot of situations where, you know, even if someone, quote, did the crime, mm-hmm. like, you know, t- giving them prison or giving them, Life. 25 years yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it was insane yeah. and, and feeling that pressure mm-hmm. and pain mm-hmm. uh it, it, you know people react to it different ways there's mm-hmm. definitely some public defenders that have nervous breakdowns huh. um a lot of pressure um most reasonable public defenders would leave their work at home and then just do other stuff or yeah. Just do nothing, whatever. Mm. I was not reasonable, so <laughs> I would spend my off time throwing myself into public service mm. in other ways. Like what? So I was, um, I taught um, a class. In fact, I taught law in the black community at San Jose State University, mm. and I taught in the African American Studies Department, and mm. I taught race and the law mm. at Lincoln Law School. Why was that important for you to do? Because I thought it was rele- a relevant aspect of the law and our history that we don't get taught. Ah. A lot of that I had to learn on my own. Mm-hmm. I did learn on my own. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be mandatory, but the fact that we're not teaching out that let me play a role in these, mm-hmm. trying to help people teach it. When I was teaching in law school, mm-hmm. we talk about, about, about half of it was on criminal justice. Mm-hmm. It was my area of expertise, but yeah. also a lot of race and law area. But we, it wasn't just that. We start with Native American sovereignty. Huh, huh. We go through a number of different topics. But for criminal justice, I would have a police officer come in mm-hmm. um, and talk about you know, issues. And we were talking about stops and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. Um, it was, I was teaching at Lincoln Law School, which is a night school. So I would oftentimes have police officers as students mm-hmm. or nurses or wheelchairs. It was ah. very interesting, you know, set of folks, but we would, we would dive deep in those issues. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so I taught, I was on a bunch of different nonprofit boards of directors, including hmm. the Bar Association Board, Asian Law Alliance, hmm. uh, Fresh Lifelines for Youth, which was regarding, you know, supporting young people with the first time they get incarcerated mm-hmm. uh, or get caught up in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the Human Rights Commission five and a half years and the Planning mm. Commission mm. two and a half years. Mm. And Busy I started man. a neighborhood association where I lived. Sure. And so it was collect- It was all that work that led me to run for city council. What was the thought when it was just like, all right, Ash, yeah. that's what we're doing. Well, like, what was, what, what was the, talk me through what you were saying to yourself in your so, brain. So as a public defender, I learned a lot, especially um, not just in the courtroom, but outside the courtroom. Mm-hmm. I would visit neighborhoods to visit crime scenes or to visit my clients or their families mm-hmm. uh and you, you know it's you know it's it's plain as the sun <laughs> you know in, mm-hmm. in the middle of the day you can see mm-hmm. that there are neighborhoods that are completely being neglected yeah that don't get the resources mm-hmm. communities and families that don't get the support and i thought uh, you know i thought to myself well 
let me see if I can get on the planning commission because I know a lot of the, what the city does is land use. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if I don't like land use, I probably won't like being a city council member, even if I want to do all this empowering the neighborhood stuff and all right. that. Right. If I don't like that nuts and bolts stuff, then mm-hmm. I probably won't like it. Mm-hmm. But I love being on the planning commission. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, in retrospect, I think it's because, you know, the land use does play so, so much of a role in, mm-hmm. in, in what happens in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so once I got on the planning commission, I'm like, okay, uh, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, okay, now, now I can see myself running for city council. Mm. And, um, and so I did Okay, in, in, in 20, 2008 uh-huh. and, and I won. Were you, were you politically speaking, were you an outsider? Were you, were you like a moderate? At the, like, how would you describe yourself politically at this point as a, as an elect? Like, how did you present yourself to the people? Why were they voting mm-hmm. for you? Yeah. So once once you're on the planning commission, you're not considered an outsider sure. candidate, so sure. to speak. And so I don't think I'd be considered an outsider, although I wasn't the preference of the incumbent. Mm. Uh, the incumbent wanted someone else, mm-hmm. even though I was friends with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't think it was my time. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, someone. So he was an African-American gentleman named Forrest Williams. Mm-hmm. There was an African-American woman named Jackie Adams, mm-hmm. who I really like, and mm-hmm. it was a school board member, yeah. uh, older. Mm-hmm. Um, had been on the school board for you know, 10, 15 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I decided to run anyway. Mm-hmm. Why would why was it so urgent for you to not like to not uh you know defer to you know the OGs like why why was it like no this is I'm gonna do this right now because I but well I I felt I could do a better job than anybody ooh why and then how but because park right there yeah because because of my day job uh-huh. being a public defender mm-hmm. because I was actually in the neighborhoods uh-huh. taking the time to go into the neighborhoods mm-hmm. throughout the district mm-hmm. and learn about their issues and mm-hmm. be with the people. Uh-huh. Um, and I saw the other council members. I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> like, like, you know, not disrespect. I mean, some yeah. were really good. Some were okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, yeah, I, I can be a voice for the people. I can, I can, mm. I can get in there and do that. And I did, thought I brought a perspective as a public defender. No one else could bring. Ah, now did you, is, is part of what you're not saying, but you are saying is that you felt that you were more in touch than some of who, who, you know, some of the, I don't know, the, the political uh, tastemakers uh, would have preferred to be in that position. Like you felt they were out of touch, disconnected, or didn't care as much as you did because of your. Work. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about didn't care as much. It's hard to say. Sure. Uh, on that point, but definitely, I felt more in touch than anyone else. Mm-hmm. I felt, I, I felt um, really connected with my community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I put time in to do that. Yeah. You know, I was putting. I was working seven days a week. Yeah. Um, and to this day, I pretty much work seven days a week. Sure, sure, sure. But you know, I put in the time, mm-hmm. uh, and and I really listened to the community, mm-hmm. uh, and I felt ready. Uh-huh. Uh, and I wasn't. A, you know, it's not like I was young. You know, I was thirty six years old. Sure. At that point, I mean, that's that's still kind of young. Kind of young, but it wasn't like you know, I was straight out of law school. No, right, right. You weren't a baby. Yeah. You know, um, when I got elected, I was thirty. Six, I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it was um, it was something that made sense to me at that time. Okay. All right. And so I did it. And I was also, you know, I had, I was seen as a labor candidate. Ah. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely was pro-worker. Sure. And um, once my opponent, the other opponent, Jackie Adams, um, I really hustled. And when the first reporting, fundraising reporting period and, and starting endorsements, and mm-hmm. I think that, she had never run a competitive campaign, so she eventually dropped out. Ah. And so then I became the clear, like, labor I democratic see. candidate. And so um, it, it, I was able to win it. 
Gotcha. Uh, in the November election. Oh. Now, what were some? Do what was like? What was one of the biggest political battles that you had to wage on the city council? So, on the city council, the recession hit, and we had a very conservative mayor, Chuck Reed, mm. Democrat, but basically Republican. Yeah, yeah. And when I mean basically Republican, he was the only big city mayor in the nation mm-hmm. to not support same-sex marriage. Huh. Yeah. In two thousand eight. Yeah. Aye, yeah. And so I battled because the, they went after the unions. Mm-hmm. So they unilaterally tried to get rid of the pensions. So it was mm-hmm. actually a statewide. Wait, 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 wait. Who went after the pension? Uh, the, the city. M- yeah. Okay. The so city Chuck, pension worker. The, sorry. City, yeah. The city government pension. Yeah. They tried to raid in the in the wake of 2008. They tried to break the contract unilaterally. Uh-huh. Uh, which is unconstitutional, but the majority of the council was with them. Um, even though it was, it was all Democrat except for one Republican. Mm. And so I was in the distinct minority. Mm-hmm. And I remember this actually in 2012. Mm-hmm. I'm up for re-election. And this is when it's all going down. Sure. Because it's on the June ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it's called Measure B. Mm-hmm. And that year, the presidential election mm-hmm. was a separate date. So it was like in March or something. It was something weird. Mm-hmm. So the June electorate was going to be super small. Mm. Like 20% or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew it. Yeah. So that's when they put Measure B because they know it's a more conservative trend. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like the most vocal voice against it. I'm going on the radio, doing debates, mm-hmm. um, even though I'm up for re-election. Yeah. I'm, at the same time, I'm pushing a minimum wage increase from 8 to $10. Mm. And that came before the city council like two weeks before my election. It was sometime in May. Mm-hmm. And it was going to go to the ballot no matter what because they got the signatures in yeah. November. Yeah. But I made a motion to adopt it outright. Yeah. Even though even labor said like, you don't have to do this, Ash. Because mm-hmm. they knew I was up for re-election. Sure, sure. I'm like, no, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I would tell folks, I didn't get elected to get re-elected. Yeah. Like, you know. Uh, so say that again. Say it again. I didn't get le- elected to get re-elected. Mm. And so I made a motion to adopt it outright. We lost on the A3 vote. Mm-hmm. And because that, our most low-wage low workers have to wait six months to get a pay raise. Eey. And at the same time, the mayor, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a Prop 8 is happening and the, yep. the challenge to Prop 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, yeah, the challenge to Prop 8 is going through the courts. Yep. And uh, I'm pushing the city council mm-hmm. to take a position on Prop 8 mm-hmm. uh, in an amicus brief uh, uh, in support uh, of the city and county of San Francisco mm-hmm. in, in their challenge. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, calling calling on the mayor to sign the letter. Mm. And uh, and I couldn't get a majority of my council to sign on. Yikes. So this is this is literally like the this is probably the week before the election. Mm. So I'm taking on the mayor on marriage quality. Yeah. I'm taking on everybody on, on the measure B yeah. pension battle. And they're running as like robocalls uh-huh. saying your council member doesn't believe in pension reform and all that crap. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I'm pushing the minimum wage increase because yeah. all the businesses are pumping money against me. Yeah. And I barely get reelected. Oh, you still won I with, still won. with all, going up against that. Yeah. Why? Um, I, I, well, frankly, I didn't have a great candidate against me. It was, it was like some milk toast. Loser. Why do that? I just moved from Ohio. Okay. Come and, on. And so he yeah. wasn't a, a great candidate, frankly, yeah. <laughs> but I also, you know, I was, I was doing my hustling on the ground, on the ground sure, too. Sure. You know, I was still out there. I was still you know, knocking on doors and stuff. Do you think that your constituents understood your position and why it benefited them? And that was what made the difference? Or was it just there's this lame from Ohio that thought he was going to take your spot? Well, I think I think that there was, look, it's a low turnout. I think incumbency helped. People yeah. recognize my name and all that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and to some extent, 
it was the positions, you know, labor, mm -hmm. labor was supportive at that point still. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't proven correct until I ran for assembly ah. on the pension stuff. Ah. Because everything I said was going to happen, like all the police officers are going to leave, city services are going to decline, this, that, and the other, mm -hmm. it all happened. Ooh. Like dramatically. Huh. And so everyone, the crime rate went out, the burglaries and all that, because yeah. they got rid of the burglary, they got rid of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and so all the crime rate and everything went up. So uh -huh. ironically, as a public defender, yeah. me having the back of the city uh, city employees uh -huh. got me law enforcement support when I ran for assembly, even though I'm against the death penalty, even though they come clearly a social justice yeah. candidate. Uh -huh. um, but because I had their back in the pension battle and I had a back when it come to the money. Yeah. 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 And that's, <laughs> that is, I'm thinking out loud. That's kind of tr interesting, a little tricky. Cause it's like cops are, cops are public employees too mm -hmm. ah, yeah. but it, but it's like you know use the use the tools that you have at your disposal yeah. well it was it was you know i mean the thing is because this you're, we're talking about the most heated kind of management um, labor dispute of any city in the last 50 years mm. but that's how heated it was so mm. i had, explain it explain it yeah What's so happening? so basically we go and we go to into a recession mm -hmm. Like everyone does, and 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 it was bad. It was it was a horrible. It recession. was extremely terrible. Pensions were like plum. The the value of of public pensions were plummeting. Everyone's hair was on fire. Private even private sector pensions contracts were being broken. This was a terrible fucking. I remember this very clearly. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. I'm just. And so, the Jerry Brown. Uh, during that time, there was a requirement that you had to show all of your debt. Yep. Not just the, like you know how much is, are you paying for fire and park services, but you have to show your pension debt and all yeah. that. Yeah. So the number come, came out that yes, yeah, San Jose has a huge pension debt. Well, every yeah. city did. Yeah, an like, unfunded pension liability. Yeah, it's unfunded liability. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that was very normal. Mm -hmm. But what the, the you know the Chuck Reed and even our current mayor Sam Licardo and all them did is they said, oh, we have this huge liability. Mm -hmm. We got to pay down this liability or else we're mortgaging our future. And the, the we have a liability BS because of the employees. Yeah. And it's, you know, so we have to, they're not willing to compromise with us. So we have to, we have to actually right. put in place what we believe is a pension reform. Right. We um, have to be, you know, fiscally responsible. Yes. Yeah. It was all BS. And it was, yeah. it was, it was just, they, they, they used it, they gamed it mm -hmm. and they were successful because everybody wants pension reform. Yeah. You know, especially when those numbers come out of the of what the debt numbers are. Yeah. So um, it was a horrible battle, mm -hmm. and. Um, but I'm saying, was the battle that the on the on the side on the on the behalf of labor, the workers who uh, whose pension it is mm -hmm. on the line, they're like, hey, excuse me, what? No, I want. I don't want any change to this because you know I'm you know I've worked yeah. 25 years. I've got yeah. retirement coming up in five years. I don't want you slashing my fucking uh, my yeah. words, my f word pension uh, because this is what I planned for. This is why I took the job. La la. While on the other side, it was like. No, 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 no. Like we've got to, we've got to, we've got to, yeah. we've got to pull back on what we've promised you because you know whatever pretext, blah blah blah. It was somewhere in between because the unions wanted to come to the table. Ah, and that was their saying. Like they want to come to the table, you're not even letting them. Ah. And I was in those back, back room, closed sessions. They yeah. were, they were. It was all performative. They even hired a law, uh, a firm to do an analysis. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a, a legal opinion. The mm. first legal opinion was that yes, this runs afoul of the Constitution. Yeah. And then they had him do a follow up. Of, like they they had him do a follow up um, several months later. Mm -hmm. Totally one eighty. Hmm. So I'm like, this is all just BS. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all performative. They're That's just it. and they're coming after him. Right. And so um, the public sector 
partic- in San Jose, did it, has it has it recovered by now? Like, it's yeah, it's in a much better place now. Okay, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't, th- I, well, probably not not fully recovered, but mm-hmm. it's, in a, it's in a better place. Gotcha. And we still have the Cardo's mayor, so it's like it's still an anti-union mayor. Ah. And so, mm. you know, the, the, that's been the, pl- the case for a long time. I got you. When and why did you decide to run for assembly? Was it was it the was it the pension battle in particular or just like, hey, I've got support. I'm going to set my eyes on mm. on something higher. So, you know, the pension battle, I mean, it questioned whether I wanted to run for re-election even. Mm. So but what, what, a couple of years later. I'm on, you know, I've, I've chaired VTA. I'm on the VTA board, Caltrain board. I'm chairing the, the area air quality management district. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's a very common strategy where mayors will appoint folks to all these regional boards if they don't, they want to get them out of a town mm-hmm. and, and they don't want them like in. in yeah. Yeah. But, but he didn't know me. So I was doing all that stuff and mm-hmm. I was enjoying it, but I was also still in very the, active in yeah. city council. Gotcha. And seeing as if, you know, seeing that, seeing housing, transportation, all these issues as huge issues that are also relevant at the state level. Yeah. I have this regional, you know, this expertise now. Ah. It kind of made sense mm-hmm. for me to run for a state at that point. Gotcha. And gotcha. the timing was perfect. I was yeah. turning out exactly the same time. Oh, okay. And, uh, but I was up against, you know, I, I live in a very diverse community, but it's about half Latino. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voting, the electorate at the time was about a third or more Latino a little bit more than a third Asian American, but but Vietnamese. We had the largest Vietnamese population outside Vietnam in San Jose. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so a huge Vietnamese electorate. Mm-hmm. Indians like one percent, two percent of the electorate. Sure. And I'm running against three Vietnamese and three Latino candidates. Aye, 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 so, aye. Yeah, and 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 um, so I ran. I had a real battle ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up spending over six million dollars against me to keep me. Who who was we they. It was like the realtors, charter schools, apartment association, ah. chamber of commerce folks. Yeah, uh-huh. they spent over six million. How much did you raise? So okay, so individually, I raised one point three. My opponent, my uh-huh. main opponent, Madison, raised more, like one point four, uh-huh. maybe more than that. Uh-huh. Um, but the outside groups were outside groups in the primary. Uh-huh. There was only two point, I think, eight million total spent in the primary. Uh-huh. Three hundred thousand was positive pieces for me. Mm-hmm. Two point five million was hitting me. Hi. Was negative piece on me. That's it. Only me Yee. to keep me out of the top two. Ah. And so I got, I just got smashed in the primary, but I made the, I made it number two. Oh. Okay. But I lost like fifteen percent. Oh. So fifteen percent. So I had the biggest comeback in the state. Huh. In order to win the I, election. I want to make sure I'm understanding this in the primary because everybody, everybody was lining up against, or the industry down there, local power brokers well, were lining state, up. Against, state, the state folks going against you, right? State folks are going against you, but so you, you, you did not get a, you did not get the majority of the votes at the primary level, but you did make the top two so that you would go on to the general. Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay. So after I lost at fifteen, the general thought was that there's no way I was going to beat Vietnamese woman, Madison, the former yeah. vice mayor. Mm-hmm. She won by 15%. Mm-hmm. And so we just kept hustling. We huh. hustled all summer. How did you hustle? On the doors. You had a ground game. Ground game. Oh, okay. And How did you recruit people to help you out with your ground game? A lot game? of young people. Okay. I go, go to community colleges, high huh. schools. Ah. <laughs> what was the hook that got that got them in your corner? Well, once people saw my positions, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, my my generic nickname was like the Bernie Sanders of San Jose. <laughs> my positions were very clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, marijuana legalization, mm-hmm. um, um, affordable housing, issues on um, you know Medicare for all. I mean, all the issues 
were you, you clearly were were you clearly kind of Id- or aligning yourself or identifying as like a Bernie style candidate at that point, like consciously? Like were you were you playing on that? No, not okay. consciously. Okay. I just my positions were there. I got you. Okay, and so um, yeah, my positions were just very much there. Uh huh. And so um, you go to you know when I when I would go to if you went to like De Anza or Evergreen College or a high school mm-hmm. and you do a straw poll mm-hmm. with their head down who they're voting for, mm-hmm. it was 90, 95% Bernie. Right on. So the positions, I mean, yeah. I was I was speaking to them and my my main opponent, Madison was like, she would have a stock speech mm-hmm. that she would give. It was the same one, whether she was talking to the Chamber of Commerce, a, a senior center or high, <laughs> or high school students, it was the same one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously I didn't do that. Yeah. I spoke differently depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah. It didn't mean my positions changed. Yeah. How I articulated them. That's changed. right. And how I'm and, connecting with people. Yeah. And so even when I would go, like charter schools were very much against me. They had a huge town hall uh-huh. forum with hundreds of parents there. Mm-hmm. But at that forum, just because the charter school association supported her, doesn't mean the parents didn't support her. Uh-huh. And so I spoke to the parents. Uh-huh. And like, you know, it was simple things. Like, yeah. She, you know, she would talk about, yes, you know, we have to grow our manufacturing base so that your kids can get good jobs. And I would be like, um, I don't want your kids to be, you know, I, I get that manufacturing may be good jobs for some of you. I want your kids to be the engineers. Huh. I want them to be the doctors. I want them to be lawyers. I want them running the company. Huh, huh, huh. Like, you know, so it's like yeah. speaking just to, to, to what, you know, to understanding yeah. that people want, whatever they have, they want better for their kids. The actual people, mm-hmm. if you just take politics away. Yeah. They want these social programs. They want, they want help. Yeah. Right? And we ignore that and yeah. instead create this narrative of red versus blue. Yeah. And and I think it's so, I think the Democrats lose out on that so severely. That's but right. they continue it because those that maintain the power struck, power in the, uh, in the party, maintain mm-hmm. the power in the party by keeping that same narrative. Tell me, hey, okay, yes. Tell me, give me your, give me a working definition in your mind of what, 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 what it means, what power means or what political power means. Well, I think it's leverage. If you leverage if you can find a way to get leverage to actually effectuate change uh-huh. and leverage to get what you want, mm-hmm. whether it's change for good, for bad right. or status quo, if that's what you want. Sure. If you have the leverage to, to get, to get what you want, uh-huh. that is power. Okay. You know, why don't, why, what does it take to get leverage? You have to either give those that have the that are in position of power of making those decisions um, a reason to do it, whether it's um, for better or worse. So, so you either have to give them an, you have to give them an incentive. Uh-huh. Either if you do this, good things will happen. If you do this, bad things will happen. Okay, right? I mean, think that it's a very binary. At the end of the day, most politicians are very binary in that sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if I do this, it's going to hurt or help. Mm. My political career, not yeah. hurt or help the people, yeah, yeah, hurt yeah. or help my political career. So uh-huh. you have to give them, like for most electives and most politicians, you have to give them that binary, okay, if you do this, mm-hmm. it'll be good for you. Mm-hmm. And this is why it'll be good for you. Hmm. Okay. That's reasonable. That this, I'm going to, I'm going to zoom us into the current moment. How do you, what is, what, how are you thinking about uh, leverage for the purpose of political power when it comes to uh, the fight for cow care. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, th- there's a couple of things. This is both a piece of legislation mm-hmm. and a movement. Yes. Together. Yes. Right? And so we have to look at both 
and how they interact with one another. Okay. So the first thing has got to be a good policy. I believe it is a good policy. Okay. We got to find a way to pay for it, which we're, we're working. That's a very challenging endeavor. Sure. And because it's not as simple as saying, well, single payer is cheaper than what we have now. Absolutely. Every yeah. legitimate study shows that. Yeah. Whether it's a governmental study or otherwise, congressional, state, right. you name it. And so let's say bucket B is cow care. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have one bucket where we want everything to go into. Yeah. Problem is we don't have a bucket A. Yeah. We have a bunch of little buckets. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reality is it's by design. Mm-hmm. The complexity of it has been created intentionally uh-huh. because the more complicated and complex it is, the harder it is to change it. And the easier it is to grift off of it because now True. you can have, you know, a whole consultant layer to like explain to you fucking paragraph five, yeah. section B, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. So, so yes, yeah, so there's the policy, fiscal policy aspect, and there's the movement building component. Now, uh-huh. the reality is that even if a majority of people, if you generically ask them, do you support Singapore? Do you support Medicare for all? Yeah. Even if you get a majority mm-hmm. of California say yes, that's yeah. not enough to get legislation through for a couple of reasons. One is, yeah, please. you know, there's going to be at least a quarter billion dollars or more yeah. spent against the effort that are done. And that amount of money buys persuasion. That's correct. And, you know, it, it buys a lot of things. Yeah. And as long as we have a political system that's so reliant mm-hmm. on money, mm-hmm. it's going to sway enough. It's going to be distortionary. Yeah. You know, I, I am absolutely um, passionate about getting 1,400 signed. Okay. 1,400. Okay. That being this said, session. Uh, well, that's my goal. Okay. Now, at the end of the day, though, I'm not naive right. to understand that, first of all, a couple of things. Okay. One is that one bill doesn't get you Medicare for all. One bill does not get you single payer. Mm-hmm. This is a policy bill. Okay. We still have to deal with the with the... The funding issues, the yeah. constitutional issues, yeah. which which is a ballot measure. Oh, okay. Which is we're going to have to go to the ballot. Okay. And that's when the people ah. are going to be tested as ah. to really how big this army and how organized it is. Ah. And so there's a couple things here. We have, we're right on the beginning of a two-year session. Okay. And so I'm certainly pushing AB 1400 as much as I can mm-hmm. you know, during this session. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I would love to get it signed tomorrow. Yeah. If it got signed tomorrow, there's still other things that have to happen. Sure. Including... Um, getting waivers from the federal government, yeah, including. Do you th- think we're going? I'm going to use bad language here, and I apologize. Do you think we're going to get fucked by the Biden? Like, let's say everything comes together, we get 14 pass this session, uh, and we are now we're moving on to get the waiver from the federal government. Do you think that we are going to get effed from the federal government because they absolutely do not want? They don't want the whiff of this even starting. Especially not in California. I feel more optimistic about it now, partially because a couple of things. One okay. is I think there is going to be pressure okay. for some federal movement on healthcare. Okay. Whether it's moving the Medicare, if the Medicare age moves down five years, yeah. that's a huge step towards California is getting it? a single pair. Yes, because one of the biggest issues is how are you going to pay for it? Well, uh-huh. that just took a huge financial burden off California. I see. Because now you have I five see. more years I see. of costly, I see. You know, of, of 60 to 65 year olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was expensive patients. I now the federal saying. government is covering them. Okay. I so got that's you. what I mean. I got you. Yeah. I, I don't mean like, oh, that means that, you know, everyone's in favor of it at the federal level. No, no, no. Uh-huh. What I mean is I have to find ways collectively as yeah. a movement yeah. to, to make the argument that, it's, it, that we can move again. Move money to that bucket. Uh-huh. That's less the work. Yeah. Move to the bucket. Right? Mm-hmm. right now, California doesn't fund long-term care. Uh, so hell yeah, I want the federal government to invest more in long-term yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Does that help me? Yeah. In getting getting uh, the fiscal 
a books you know settled in uh-huh. calcare uh-huh. absolutely so is this so are you are you trying to do you have to balance like a because you play basketball like a three-man weave like keeping an eye on what's going on at the federal level because it, based on whatever is happening there you have to amend modify change uh the calcare bill as well as i i don't know deal with terrible reactionary like do you have to like have like th- yeah. three-part vision yeah no uh-huh. it's, it's definitely like, kind of like that three-dimensional mm-hmm. chess kind of stuff going uh-huh. because you have to first of all what's happening in the building with colleagues and and, and you know i've i've I get some choice words thrown at me. Of course. For even introducing it and putting sure. folks in the, in the position to actually have to consider it. Uh-huh. Um, the fiscal issues, the constitutional issues, mm-hmm. having to work, you know, on a, a variety of layers mm-hmm. and then the federal issues. So there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, we, this is not, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's almost impossible to think that we can get this done without the governor's, the administration supporting. Do I think a Republican is going to in any way help me achieve right. CalCare or any other? We have more initiative. leverage with Newsom. Well, absolutely. Than, yeah, I mean, okay, he's okay. someone that campaigned in favor of single payer, regardless of whether you know he's done much on it quite yet or not. Right. He has expanded, you know, access to undocumented residents. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things that have happened. Yeah. That again, remember when those things happen? Mm-hmm. When we get when we increase Medi-Cal reimbursement rates? Mm-hmm. When we when we expand access to Medi-Cal, mm-hmm. those things help us get to single payer. Yeah. Now I'm not saying mm-hmm. that that I'm pushing for incrementalism. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is that when those steps happen outside yeah. of the CalCare single payer movement, yeah. what it does, it changes the cost estimates. Ah. And so if you're saying it's going to cost us around 400 billion, and okay, California, you spend, uh, and the federal government, you spend 200 billion. On healthcare, let's just put that number out there. Yeah, yeah. But because of changes in the federal government by lowering mm-hmm. the Medicare age, mm-hmm. and because California is now covering more people, mm-hmm. and because we, we, we increase the Medi-Cal reimbursement rate in uh-huh. California, uh-huh. you're now actually spending $220 billion. Uh-huh. So what does that mean? Uh-huh. The Delta has gone from $200 billion to $180 billion yep. of what I got a tax for. Yeah, I got you. So that's, that's what I mean when I say that these these different things happening yeah. help us, yeah. even if we've got to continue to push. Yeah to get CalCare to get single payer through, which, I I, which I'm committed to do. Yeah. But I want to make it clear to people that there's a number of levers and a number of dominoes that have to fall. I got you. But we, but we've, we can work on more than one at a time. I got you. How do we go from like supporting the mind to support on the ground if it even needs to be on the ground? Like what do, how do we need to be moving? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of things. One is educate uh, yourselves on single pair as a whole and 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 certainly this piece of legislation mm-hmm. um AB 1400 uh as well as I mean there's there's different um book studies you can read I mean I think being more educated on what single pair is and mm-hmm. what it isn't mm-hmm. is critically important mm-hmm. because uh you know I have to educate myself mm-hmm. even in having conversations with my colleagues mm-hmm. so well, what about this is wouldn't this system work better this that, and the other so I think collectively we have to be more well versed ah. on why a single pair system mm-hmm. is the one that's the most moral and economic economically sensible for tell us. me and uh, go, go ahead go ahead yeah we'll get back and to so that. I think let's all educate ourselves and educate those around us in our circles uh-huh. if you're going to college, you know, get a Medicare or a single pair, you know, uh, students for single pair yeah. organization. There. Yeah. Or, you know, to, to organize students. Yeah. You got, it's all about organize. You have to organize, organize, mm-hmm. but organizing with, 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 um, it's always better to organize once you're really educated on the issue, uh-huh. then you organize. Okay. Organize your community. Go to your city council. My city council, I think next week is voting on supporting AB 1400. Huh. 
Yeah, uh, the Democratic Party is going to vote on a resolution mm-hmm. uh, on it. Um, at the convention? Uh, yeah. I'm going to be at the convention. I'll uh, be yeah. throwing my hand behind <laughs> And so, you know, those things do matter. Yeah. I think showing a very clear stand yeah. that people are in favor of it. Yeah. But the more well-versed you are on what AB 1400 does uh-huh. uh, and on how uh, on different funding schemes for a single pair, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you can respond to folks and say, how do you pay for it? Well, we pay for Right now, we pay more than, than any other country in the world yeah. for less. Yeah. And so I think understanding... Having the understanding that we that 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 you get, it's not just a simple signature on one bill and you mm-hmm. get it, mm-hmm. but but having the policy in place mm-hmm. and the design in place and having the state of California, you know, having the governor sign that bill mm-hmm. is you can't get single parent without that. Yeah, you have that's the first say, step. You have to sequence it. Um, I, I think that you know get get involved. There's you know, there's plenty of single pair movements in every community in and California. In California, yeah. Name some. Well, we have a we have a single pair coalition in Santa Clara County. Okay, um, I know that there's you know, we health, have a healthcare committee of the SF Bernicrat, Bernicrats. Yeah, uh-huh. in Los Angeles, there's a, there's a healthcare uh, for all in Los Angeles mm-hmm. that's really been promoting it. Mm-hmm. And so there's different organizations that you can be part of that, mm-hmm. that can get you connected to a network. Yep, um, and, and we have to you know promote it in yep. that way. You know, that's that's the movement aspect. Of uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm not gonna wait. I won't do it. I'm not gonna wait. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm looking at my political mortality now. Huh? I've only got you know seven seven and a half years left. Mm-hmm. Like I gotta get things done for my community, mm-hmm. for my community, for my people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't care if I if me pushing this mm-hmm. does mean that five years down the line, mm-hmm. single pair happens with someone else's name on it, and uh-huh. I get forgotten in history. I don't care. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is about saving lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many lives have been lost. Mm-hmm. So I I can't. My conscience won't allow me. Mm-hmm. To, to wait on this issue hmm. any longer. Ah, okay. I can't. All right. I'm hopeful that we can get enough young people, progressives in there mm. to continue the move, mm. uh, to get, get get corporate free candidates mm-hmm. um, into the party, yeah. more into the par- into positions of power. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, there's 120 legislators, only two of us um, are corporate pack free. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of room there. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I think that that, I think that again, start, but start local. Mm-hmm. We need, it's been, it was great to see a lot of folks that were on the Bernie campaign, all get elected to city councils mm-hmm. and school boards, you know, like we have to build the bench. Mm-hmm. And I think we build the bench of policymakers, of folks that know how to move policy mm-hmm. at school board levels, at city levels, mm-hmm. at water districts, mm-hmm. get them into you know, assembly and county supervisors mm-hmm. Um, I think the future is very bright. Mm, okay, so but but we got to do the work at the grassroots level. Mm-hmm. Not everything's about what Congress is doing and and, and uh, what the governor is doing. Uh-huh. Like, you know, dig deeper. Yeah, and and pay attention to what's going on closer to home. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, thank you, Ash. Thank you, Assemblymember sure. Kara. I really appreciate you taking time with us today. And I apologize for the five curses. I will <laughs> try to do better. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's a quick-ish update on where things are for AB 1400. Number one, the California Democratic Party did endorse the bill at the convention recently. Yay! Number two, Assemblymember Kalra held the bill and made it a two-year bill. This means that the bill is still alive and will be heard in January. He did this so that we, that means you, me, us, can use this time to build a movement for AB 1400 up and down the state. If we do this correctly, we give the bill its best shot. 
And we know that the health insurance industry is going to throw everything they've got at this. So we've got work to do. As an aside, maybe, just maybe, Newsom will throw us a bone and apply for a federal waiver soon in exchange for us supporting him through this recall. Hmm. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> all right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and all episodes, really. <laughs> Please subscribe and share, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>